Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, friends, thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from The Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash BP show. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The day that Donald Trump caved. Yes, indeed. Never thought he could do it. He did it. But don't think that fixes the problem. It's a phony executive order that still leaves over 2,300 kids in cages, separated from their parents, and they probably have no idea where their parents are. What do you say? Hello, everybody. It's a Thursday. Thursday, 21st day of June 2018. Great to see you today with uh, so much going on here, not just on the immigration front, but all across the board, all across the country, all around the world. Lots of things we want to talk about, lots of things you want to talk about and want to comment on. That's what we do here on The Bill Press Show, coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, with all the news of the day from a progressive point of view, of course, and we appreciate your being part of the program. Whether or not you are uh, joining us online, listening on the radio, or watching us on television. We'll jump into the news of the day with your comments coming on YouTube, on um, on Twitter, <laughs> on Twitter, at PP Show, at PP Show. Let us know what you think about this new policy. But remember, in a sense, nothing has changed. The zero tolerance policy still applies. Every adult crossing the border will still be charged as a criminal. The only difference is from now on, the kids will be locked up in prison with their parents. They'll still be locked up in prison. Is this who we are as a country? That question is still as relevant today as it was before he signed that stupid executive order. Good to have you with us. Get ready to go, but first. This is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. You know, yesterday at this time, I talked about how Canada had legalized marijuana. Well, yesterday, Prime Minister Justin Trudeau actually spoke on this 
and gave us the date as to when this is going to start. The new recreational cannabis regime will officially come into force on October 17th of this year. October 17th, that is the date that you can get legal recreational marijuana in Canada. Now, it should be noted, this is months later. So will that be there 420? Ten <laughs> seventeen, yeah, right. Well, That's it's not quite the same ring. Huh? No, no, not so much. Well, you know, I mentioned yesterday they said that this should, could be implemented in a matter of weeks, but Trudeau yesterday pointed out that he's heard from a lot of people saying that they need time to get their brick and mortar stores together. There are going yeah, to be online yeah. no, sales. No, it always takes time. They, they... And so he says this is a way more realistic deadline that they can hit, as opposed to you know rushing it through. So it sounds like. They take it seriously. In fact, he said yesterday, this is something we want to get right, is what he told reporters. So right. he's yeah. on board with it, I guess, which is positive news for the pot business there. Uh, by the way, some sad news, Bill. Jerry Springer Uh-oh. is off the air. He, I didn't even know he was still on the air, by the oh, way. I didn't either. 27 seasons is what he has done of the Jerry Springer show. No, the Jerry Springer show was the still The Jerry there? Springer show was I had no idea. I thought Whoa. it was over and done with. Well, is he running for governor again? He's or, not running for governor or president. again. Or, or president. Well, who knows, right? right. I, mean, I, I hate to say no, he's not. <laughs> uh, he taped 4,000 episodes of the Jerry Springer sh- show. It's been in syndication through NBC Universal, and not that long ago they decided they were going to shut it down. It's been in syndication, Bill. Since 1991. Oh, my God. How about that? You know, I have to tell you, as crazy as that show is, Jerry Springer's a great guy. Oh, yeah. No, he is. He's a very, real progressive, a real lefty. He really is. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, and I don't, know if, I, I don't know him all that well, but, you know, talked to him a few times and a wonderful guy, you know. Former but, guest on the show. A former guest on the, show, on the show. But he gets the end of the but some of those shows were really wacky. <laughs> yeah, he gets judged on the company that he keeps. I'd say that's that's the best way. By the way, they said that there might be more original Jerry Springer programming in the future, so stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. In typical Trumpian fashion, Donald Trump creates a crisis so he can pretend to solve it. <laughs> That's what we've been through this week. First, the whole cascade of lies about why he can't do anything. And then yesterday, he reverses himself and does something. Go figure. But don't buy into the idea that this executive order fixes anything at the border. It does not. Hey, hello, everybody. What do you say? Here we go. The Bill Press Show. Tuesday. Whoops. Everybody turns their phone off before they start a radio show, of course. Uh, It is Tuesday, June 21, 2018. Great to see you today. Thank you so much for being part of the program. You are the most important part of the program, of course, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours or around the globe. Glad to be with you, happy to be with you today because we have so much to talk about, so many important things to talk about uh, as we come to you from our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., as always, here where we are in uh, the full middle of the summer, summer where the swamp 
really lives up to its name, hot and humid and raining half the time. We got a lot, as I said, lots to talk about. And so get ready to send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. And uh, the big stories today, of course, the, number one, uh, President Trump signing this executive order yesterday after telling us for four days there was nothing he could do about it. Michael Bloomberg stepping up to the plate saying he is going to pump in $80 million. We're talking Koch brothers level here, folks. $80 million to help Democrats win back the House of Representatives this year. It's kind of got lost in the shuffle uh, in the last couple of days. Donald Trump slapping another $200 billion of tariffs on China, and uh, which brings to a total of $250 billion. And finally, Donald Trump says there ain't going to be no picnic. Ain't going to be no picnic, no congressional picnic. It was scheduled for tonight. Yesterday, Donald Trump uh, canceled it, right? So let's get started here with all of you as we join you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Join you on Free Speech TV, coast to coast, and uh, on the radio, Indiana Talks, and uh, on out in the greater Chicago area on WCPT. Now, I know we got to talk about the executive order, but I mean, I, uh, you know, from California, I do have to talk about the most important issue of the day. This is one we all have to take aside. Can't duck this question. There's, it's pending in the state legislature in California right now. The official state sport of California. Oh, wow. Whoa. And it's split right down the middle. They talk about California breaking up into five different states or four different states. No, no. This is, this is more important. Issue. This is the issue. This is split California literally right down the middle. And the debate in Sacramento is between, for the state sport, surfing or skateboarding. Wow. Right down the middle. Wow. And on the coast, it's yeah. surfing. And in the valley and out of it's skateboarding. That's really fascinating, actually. How about that? I mean, both of those cultures were really yeah. mainstreamed in California. Absolutely. Now, you can draw back. I mean, my oh, yeah. my 13-year-old's a big skater, and we watch a lot of skating documentaries. It really happened in California. Yeah. And the right. same with surfing. I mean, it yeah. started elsewhere. California but- or, you know, I mean, so that inland, I mean, like our grandkids in like in Oregon, right? I mean, they're not on the coast. They're skateboarders, man. Yeah. Right? Uh, so I have wow. to tell you, I'm a surfer. I mean, not, not a surfer, but I'm for surfing. You vote for surfing. Oh, vote for surfing. I'm a body surfer. I don't sure, do sure, board sure. surfing. But absolutely surf. I mean, if there's anything that represents California. It's the Pacific Coast. It's those mammoth waves in yeah. Santa Cruz and, you know, down in San Diego, uh, all up and down the, the That's coast. That's tough, man. Yeah, and and that iconic picture, you know, the guy catching a, yeah. catching a wave. No, that's California. I, I got to be honest. I, I hate to be <laughs> diplomatic about this. I could I could hear both arguments, skating or surfing. I'm I'm so you're, coastal that I can't you're hear you. Straight up, yeah, I hear you. I, I get it, I see it, but you know, on a little patch of concrete, a little hill. <laughs> uh, no, no, that's not the real thing. No, no, anyhow. So I just want you to know that uh, this is happening, and uh, I'm, I'm 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 weighing in, no doubt about this one. All righty, all right. So 
We could do a little poll on that too. If there you go, it. put yeah. it out there. <laughs> I think, and by the way, the population is really more on the coast, right? So if you had a vote statewide, no doubt, I think they so. should have a vote. They should be on the ballot. <laughs> In California, it could be. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yep. So uh, this executive, this is. I mean, by the way, I have never seen uh, such incompetence at any level of government as we saw this week from the very top of our government, from the White House, in the way they've dealt, dealt with this separation, separating families down at the border. Uh, and it's important to take a look at exactly what happened So, and how this played out this week. So we've talked about it every day. And we have repeated and talked to you about the lies that Donald Trump is telling. And the lies were right in order, right? Um, this is a problem that was caused not by any policy of the Trump administration. This was a problem caused by a law, a law passed by Democrats. So it was the Democrats' fault because they passed a law that required them to rip families apart at the border. Congress, because it was a law, Congress alone could fix it. The president could do nothing about it. He was powerless. He was helpless. We joked about that yesterday and said, this is the same guy who said, I can pardon myself. Then he said he couldn't do anything about this. And they said, in fact, word for word, this came out of the White House earlier this week, word for word, we can't do it through an executive order. Word for word. Donald Trump said that. Sarah Huckabee Sanders said that. Jeff Sessions said that, Stephen Miller said that, Kirsten Nielsen, DHS secretary, said that. They all said the same thing. Yesterday, in effect, they all stood up and said, that was a lie, we can do it, and we're going to do it by executive order. So they admitted it was their policy, which it was adopted, again, announced by Jeff Sessions, April 6, 2018, so they admitted, oh, no, it was their policy. It wasn't a law after all. It was their policy. Congress, the Democrats, were not at fault. It wasn't their fault. Congress did not have to pass a bill. There was another way to fix it. Yes, the president could fix it. He could have done it by phone call. But he did it by executive order, which, again, two days ago they said, we can't do it through an executive order. Now, they'll say they signed this bogus executive order, and they couldn't even spell the word separation right. In the headline, it was S-E-P-E-R-A-T-I-O-N, right? Separation. <laughs> I mean, that tells you a lot about how valid this executive order is. Because, now, you know, again, Donald Trump's basically, everybody's saying, well, he created a crisis so he could solve it. Last night, out of Minnesota, he's saying, you know, we fixed it. We're still going to be tough at the border, but now the families are, uh, in fact, I, that was, I thought it was instructive when he said, yeah, when he signed it uh, yesterday, Peter, if we can, he said um, that we're st he didn't, here's why he did it, because he didn't like the looks of these little kids. We're going to have strong, very strong borders, but we're going to keep the families together. I didn't like the sight or the feeling of families being separated. 
Right. No, he doesn't say there's anything wrong with it. He doesn't say it's inhumane, that it's immoral, that it's cruel, that it's child abuse, that it's heartless, which all of it is. No, he says he just didn't like the sight of seeing the pictures. In other words, you have to believe if he if this had been kept a secret, if the media had not reported on it, if we hadn't seen the pictures, if we hadn't heard the audio, Tom Trump wouldn't have done anything about it. Would no. not have done, would have done nothing about it. No, I don't think so. I think I think you're absolutely right. And you know the other thing is this was a pretty quick cave. Oh yeah. Yeah. On Donald Trump, right? Like the first time that yeah. this really turned into something was Thursday of last week, we were talking about how Jeff Sessions and Sarah Huckabee Sanders used the Bible to justify this horrible, mm-hmm. cruel mm-hmm. action. And it was less than a week. It was less than a week that this that they caved on this. Uh, and it is different. But I mean, this is significant in the sense that, remember, look, with a travel ban, all those protests at the airport when he announced the travel ban, he didn't cave on that. Double down, triple down. Charlottesville, all the outrage when he said there were some very good people, uh, happy people on the other side. No, he didn't. He never backed down on that either. This is this is a this is a first, if you will, for Donald Trump. But here's the most important point. Here's the most important thing to take away from today's program. It doesn't mean the problem is solved for lots of different reasons. Okay, you got to know this. Number here's what's wrong with this executive order. Number one, he did not drop the policy of zero tolerance. That policy is still in place, announced on April 6. That policy means that every single person crossing the border illegally will be arrested and prosecuted as a criminal. That's new. They were always before detained or something for civil violations. This is a criminal violation, meaning they will be held in federal, put in federal prison. And under this executive order, they're not going to separate the kids, but their parents go to federal prison. So where will the kids go? To federal prison with the parents. Now, you tell me, having these kids in federal prison with their parents is compassionate, is what we ought to be doing as a country, that everyone who comes across is under this policy, which remains in place. Executive order did not change it. Every one of them is considered a criminal. Every one of those goes to federal prison while they're awaiting trial. And now, because we're not going to separate families, the kids, instead of being in the tents, will be in federal prison. I don't see that as an improvement. It's not an improvement. And, by the way, it's also maybe illegal because there is a 1997 court case, and that's one of the things Trump was complaining about, that says you can only keep kids in custody for 20 days maximum 20 days. So by signing this executive order, Donald Trump is basically saying, and that was wrong with the other, with the keeping them intense too, that they're going to keep these kids forever, months and months, until their parents' criminality uh, is dealt with through the court system or the immigration, the immigration court system. So number one, leaves a policy in place. Number two, they've admitted, they admitted yesterday, the 2,342 kids who are now in these detention camps or in these tender age centers for toddlers, they stay there. They're not released. They're not reunited with their parents. They don't even know, for in many cases, where their parents are. 
Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal from Washington State, who was with us yesterday here in studio, pointed out she interviewed 176 women. Uh, she said like 50% of them had came with kids and their kids had been taken away from them and they had no idea where their kids were. They're so poor record-keeping in the Department of Homeland Security that they ripped them apart, but they didn't keep track of how many kids, where they went. And by the way, they're not all in the border, at the border. You know, some of them are in centers in Florida, up in Massachusetts, in Washington State, wherever they happen to have an empty bed, they were they were taking kids there. But so don't think that there's going to be all this happy yeah. reuniting of these families after Donald Trump signed the executive order. No. DHS had admitted, has admitted that the 2,300 that they've taken in since early May remain in those detention centers. You just make a very good point, by the way. This is already obviously a demonic law that they're trying to enforce or, or uh, initiative yeah. that they're trying to enforce, right? It's terrible. It's policy. horrible. Policy, policy. Policy and all of that, right? But on top of that, as if it wasn't bad enough, you're dealing with an administration that cannot dot spell the I's I- and cross the T's or spell yeah. or keep anything in order. No, no. Nothing is in order. No. So this is a it huge- It is a clown show. It's I'm a tell- total clown show. Yeah. And so, like- it's already bad enough that this policy is horrific, but it's compounded by the fact that to try and undo this and to try and reunite these parent these kids with their parents, who knows where that's going to end? Because, like you said, they, they didn't keep records on this. No, no. Not, the, not the way they should. Mm. No. And so those so that's the second thing wrong. So first, remember, family. So the policy is still in place. Everybody's still going to be treated as a criminal. The kids will now stay with their parents in federal prison. Who knows? Months, years, who knows how long. Two, the 2,300 kids already rounded up still stay in those detention centers. Uh, no effort to reunite them with their families. And three, there's slippery language in the executive order that says the families will not be separated where appropriate or where sufficient resources exist. So there's a big loophole here that I, they can say oh well in this case uh-uh doesn't we're not going to let them stay together for whatever bogus reason so they allowed themselves some wiggle room if you will that could really be exploited watch out for that no so, i saw a lot of people progressives included sort of <laughs> taking a victory lap yesterday and saying hey we did it we got him to sign this executive no, order no don't there's uh, no reason to celebrate it, well, you should be just as outraged as you were at the beginning of the week yeah, uh, and and you know, so why did he do it? Well, he certainly got some pressure from Republicans, or a lot more and more Republicans were criticizing it. But I still didn't hear any any leading Republican stand up and say, "No, I can no longer support this president." You know, the only one who did, and you see him on television a lot, is Steve Schmidt, who is a big time Republican strategist, campaign manager. Uh, has been um, a pretty regular on uh, Morning Joe and on M- M- NBC and MSNBC for the last couple of years. Hey, he finally yesterday said, I can't, this is not the Republican Party anymore. I'm just getting out of the Republican Party. And good for him. Good yeah, for him. that's admirable. But you know what? This is the Republican Party. It's this is the, who they are. This is now, yeah. It, meaning, and what he's saying is this is now the party of Donald Trump, right? 
this idea that there is any that there's any element of the Republican Party that's not 100% Donald Trump? No. And by the way, the Republican Party, as we've said this many times, they created Donald Trump. They asked for Donald They paved the way for Donald Trump. Uh, and now and now they've got him. So I don't want to give any uh, uh, any kudos to the congressional Republicans who expressed a little, uh, uh, you know, a little criticism of Donald Trump along the way. Uh, some of them were feeling the heat, but... Um, but they still ended up and would end up voting for anything that uh, anything that Donald Trump wants. Meanwhile, um, the president was out on the campaign trail yesterday because for him, it's the eternal campaign. That's all he does. That's all he uh, likes to do. Uh, he was out in typical fashion uh, in Minnesota, Minnesota of all places, Duluth. He thinks he's going to win Minnesota. <laughs> yeah. Of course, we didn't think he was going to win I Wisconsin know. either. Yeah, I know. But, I know. I mean, I, I'm with you. And I love this. After this totally inhumane policy of his, supported by congressional Republicans, he has the audacity to say to this crowd last night, if you want real compassion, real humanity, well, elect a Republican. If you want to create a humane, lawful system of immigration then you need to retire the Democrats and elect Republicans to finally secure our borders. Oh, yeah, because we know how compassionate the, the, the Republicans are on, uh, on, immigra- on immigration issues. Uh, and classic case of, by the way, the crowd last night, they were chanting, lock her up. Jesus Christ. Yeah, you know. It never ends. Never ends. It never ends. Because... It's the same message. His, you could have taken his speech last night. I watched part of it. You could have replayed a 2016 campaign speech. Same rally, same candidate, same chance, same atmosphere. He mocked the media, told people to turn around, boo the media. Uh, there were a couple of protesters, and of course, he has to go after the protesters and insult the protesters. This one protester, I guess, long hair. Was that a man or a woman? Because he needs a haircut more than I do. Couldn't tell. Couldn't tell. I couldn't tell. Needs a haircut. And if you want to know what it's all about, right? If you want to know what motivates Donald Trump, uh, here he talks about the fact that, you know, um, people talk about... Like Tucker Carlson the other night said the people who are opposing this policy, Donald Trump's policy, were elitists, the Democratic liberal elitists. So Donald Trump says, why do they call them, Democrats, elitist? I'm really the one who's elite. Me, me. It all comes back, doesn't it? To me, me, me. You ever notice they always call the other side, and they do this up, the elite the elite. Why are they elite? I have a much better apartment than they do. I'm smarter than they are. I'm richer than they are. I became president and they didn't. Isn't that just sick? It's the dumbest, it's the dumbest it thing is. ever. It is. You know, I don't know. I... I, I... 
Uh, I, I look. I was just raised with a different set of values that you don't go around bragging about yourself all the time, especially if you're president of the United States. Yeah, you're president. I mean, okay, I can see that again. How many times have we made the the comparison? It's called it? punching down, right? It's yeah, never, yeah. ever, ever a good look. But it's such schoolboy, schoolyard recess tactics, right? I mean, it's what you hear from the bullies on the schoolyard. Yeah. Bragging about their father or whatever. I don't know. It's just it's just it's just sick. Uh, and um, that's the latest on the immigration front. God knows today. But don't think the problem is solved. By the way, the House is going to vote on those two phony bills that they've got up. It looks like, surprise, surprise, neither one of them is going to pass. Uh, and so Congress will, again, duck any responsibility uh, whatsoever. Uh, and we're still going to have these 2,300 kids, just r- r- wrapping that up, those 2,300 kids now plus, uh, 2,300 plus now in detention centers will still stay there, and more and more kids will end up in federal prison rather than in cages if you consider that progress, if you consider that uh, an improvement. The zero-tolerance policy, which is the wrong policy, still, still stays in place. And then uh, Donald Trump said, oh, my God, We've got so much to deal with, and it's such a serious time that the one thing we cannot do is go ahead with, as scheduled for tonight, down at the White House, and they do this every year, the annual congressional picnic. We are going to cancel and postpone tomorrow's congressional picnic. We have a congressional picnic tomorrow, and I was just walking over to the Oval Office, and I said, you know... It doesn't feel right to have a picnic. Picnic. What is up with that? I never that? heard that pronunciation of that quite that way before. It's something. Picnic. Picnic. It's a picnic. Right. A picnic. 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 Now, you know what? I must tell you, I don't give a rat's ass where they have that congressional picnic. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, you know, I've never been invited. I wouldn't go if I were invited. Uh, but you do have to say, uh, let, let me tell you, there is a downside to this in that a lot of members of I know this. Democrats and Republicans, almost everybody goes. And you know what they do? They bring their family in ahead of time because they want to be there for the whole family. So a lot of members of Congress are really pissed off about this because they have their families in town for this. And I can tell you, because I go to the White House for the briefings, they were cooking steaks yesterday. They were grilling yesterday. Were they really? You know they had purchased all the food. I'm sure of it. They had to. So you just got to wonder how much money was pissed away when Donald Trump summarily canceled the picnic because he didn't feel like having it. Picnic. Right. You never didn't think about that aspect. Well, I, yeah, no, I wouldn't. I, again, I, I didn't I, even think about it. I could yeah. care less, but right. there is a cost there. Sure. To, what a uh, waste. Yeah, a total waste. And uh, a big salute, a big salute to, uh, in a couple of fashions, a big salute to, um, on the immigration front, to five, and there may be more, but we know of five airlines that announced yesterday that, uh, okay, and, and this was both before and after the executive order was signed. Five airlines announced yesterday, uh, okay, you may want to transfer these kids uh, away from their parents and send them to detention centers around the country. We don't want any part of it, and we don't want your business. And don't try to put them on our planes. And they were American, 
Southwest, Delta, United, and Frontier. I love it. Good for them. I love it. Good for them. Yeah. They just said, fine, charter jet if you want, but we're not going to take your business. We're not going to take them. Uh, I, and and they, they sent word to the Department of Homeland Security and to ICE, don't try to buy tickets on our airline. We don't Hell want yeah. your business. Hell yeah. Good for them. Yeah, right? I love it. Corporations standing up. More than sure. Everybody wants I, to do something. This this is something. Uh, interesting that uh, Dolores Huerta, the great iconic civil rights leader who was our guest here in studio yesterday, made that point about corporations have to stand up. We we talk about individuals got to take a stand, and she said more and more corporations have to take a stand. That's a good sign that they did. By the way, if you're if you're listening now and you weren't able to hear the second hour of, of yesterday's show, it is up uh, in podcast form. Just look for Bill Press Show in iTunes. It's also on our website, BillPressShow.com. She was amazing. Yeah, she, she was amazing. amazing. She, she's just unbelievable. And she, I don't know. She's. I, I didn't ask her how old she is. I don't even know. But she's she, been at this for a long time. She's been at it for a long, long time. And she is incredible and still, still going strong on the board of People for the American Way. And, uh, yeah, check that, check uh, Dolores Huerta on the podcast, one of our real – I put her up there with Ruth Bader Ginsburg as – uh, people that I really uh, admire. I mentioned uh, kudos also to, first of all, to the airlines. And the other to Michael Bloomberg. Michael Bloomberg put his money where his mouth is. Uh, former mayor of New York, former Republican mayor of New York, yesterday announced. Uh, by the way, he has a great um, organization called, every, is it Every, every, every Town? Every Town. Yeah. Every Town, uh, which is where he spent millions and millions of dollars uh, on responsible gun safety measures in t- city after city a- in this country, at th- looking at the municipal level. He announced yesterday he's going to dedicate $80 million this year, $80 million to helping Democrats win back the House of Representatives because he knows so much is at stake in terms of policy, in terms of getting this country back on track and standing up to Donald Trump. Uh, we need a, a, a Democratic House to, to do that, and Michael Bloomberg, Helping out a lot, eighty million dollars. That's like uh, we finally have our own Coke brother, one brother, <laughs> one brother, our Bloomberg brother. That's Helping. it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, that's more than the Coke brothers individually have ever given uh, to a congressional racist like that. So good for them. Got to take a quick break. We'll make it back. Talk about some of the uh, labor issues uh, facing this country and also facing. Uh, workers don't hear about this very much around the world uh, and about one organization that's trying to uh, help those uh, workers here in the country and around the world from the International Transport Workers Federation. It is the Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, Thursday, not Tuesday, Thursday, June 21. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast. Search for the Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review and subscribe. This is the Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Thursday, Thursday, June 21. Hey, folks, good to have you with us. And thank you for joining us. The Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C. Our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Brotherhood of Teamsters, the good men and women of the Teamsters Union. Under President Jim Hoffa, we all live better because of their good work. And we uh, encourage you to check out their website at Teamster. Org. We salute them for the good work and thank them for their support uh, of the uh, program uh, and welcome somebody who uh, works very closely with the Teamsters as president of the International Transport Workers Federation, 
Mr. Steve Cotton. Hey, Steve, it's good to see you. Good morning. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you uh, for coming in. Lots to talk about. I want to find out a lot more about what you're doing and about the state of uh, uh, working families around the nation. We don't get a chance to focus on that much. But we've been talking about news of the day here in this country for the last uh, 40 minutes or so. Uh, generating some comments, Peter? Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Lots of different comments on, well, the child separation policy. Yeah. Uh, Let's start with Matthew Naughton. He says, how disgusting is it that Trump is taking credit to reunite the children with their parents when it was his policy that caused this to begin with? Uh, My man Romaine in Chicago says, what's so sad is that Donald Trump was bragging about how much richer he is than those idiots, and they are the ones cheering for him. Uh, Yeah, at the rally last night, right. uh, Insane. Yeah, and on the congressional picnic, you mentioned all the food that's, that's going to be wasted. Walker Ogden says, oh, I am sure that Donnie will sign an executive order to designate the food already prepared to be given to the homeless. I would not count Or maybe that. he'll send it out to those kids in those uh, tents in the desert, right? Yeah. Yeah, for uh, that's sure. That's his idea of compassion, I guess. Yeah, It'll yeah, probably yeah. be served on the menu of the Trump Hotel is probably what's going to happen. You know what? I'll bet you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right the, they'll buy they'll use steaks. Yeah. Yeah. That, that uh, would be very on brand for Donald Trump. If you have a comment, by the way, Find us on Twitter, at BP Show, at BP Show. Make sure you follow us there, and any comment that you give, we'll uh, we'll take a look at it. We'll see them. All right. You got it. Thanks. Uh, thanks, Peter. Steve Cotton with the International Transport Workers Federation, ITF, right? That's it, yep. So I'm, I'm, you, the stuff that you sent me, you represent 670 different unions yep. in, uh, in 147 yep. different countries. With a total of 19.7 million transport workers. Is that the largest sector? I wish I'd love to say it was, but there are other what we call global union federations. And um, those members come by way of the national unions. So um, Teamsters is one of our biggest affiliates in North America. We have a number of others. Um, So they put all their members in, and it's our job to coordinate strategies across all of the transport sectors. Um, uh, I am surprised to hear that uh, 147 countries, unions are, exist and are active in, oh, yeah. in 147 I mean, countries. We, we're yeah. very lucky. So we're, we're very tied in. I'm very supportive. I'm a lifetime union member myself in unions in this country, but I don't think of it on a global scale. So our job is to make sure that um, you know, the brotherhood, the sisterhood, the, the solidarity is produced globally. Um, and part of what we'll talk about today is how um, historically we've worked coordinating at the United Nations, the International Labour Organization, those kind of intergovernment agencies. Today the ITF is more dynamic in tackling multinationals and how they behave in different parts in the world. And it's quite clear there's many North American owned companies that uh, have responsible union relationships in, in North America, good relations, and then they go to other parts of the world, perhaps less developed, mm-hmm. less union strong, and behave in different ways. And um, one of the companies we'll talk about today is, is it doesn't have good relationships here, um, but it's a it's a global challenge. And, um, you know, we have some big unions in Russia, big unions in Asia. Um, the, the railway union that we have in Russia is 1.7 million members. Whoa. Very big, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I want to ask you about some of these companies, some of the bad players that you that you uh, alluded to. But in terms of working conditions, wages, benefits, 
how do American workers stand with the rest of the world? Are we leading the world? Are we on par with the world? Uh, and where are things best? Like you're from the I UK. That's, is... a, that's, a, that's a really um, good question. I think America, where there are good companies uh, that have good industrial relations and a good respect for their workers, you have some of the better contracts. But also I would say probably United States for such a, a wealthy country has the extremes where you have people working for you know below minimum wage and non-union rights. So yeah. the package is kind of diverse. And where unions have been successful in North America and have got medical, welfare, pension plans, saving plans, mm -hmm. sometimes it's to their disadvantage to get the other workers into that situation because employers use that as a rule to fight against unions. If I was to pick um, probably some of the best places in the world, I'd say still the Nordic countries have some of the most... Um, balanced social economic strategies, both governmentally and then in partnership. What, what with we would call Scandinavian countries? Yeah, yeah. yeah so right. if, I, if I was picking one today, I'd say Sweden, but Finland, they're mm. very um, entwined with government policy and the unions are very well respected in the social dynamic. So, And the membership level is higher? Very high, up in the 90s. Yeah, really, yeah. in the 90s? Yeah. Wow. And the government trusts the unions to administer the social welfare packages mm -hmm. so rather than fighting day by day over every element there's a conversation with the government that says unemployment benefit sick pay all of those issues will be ministered by the union in partnership and western europe um slightly different position germany's still quite strong and economic power Beginning to see certain different levels of two tiers of employment france seen a lot of politics there where the government is trying to privatize the rail sector it's very controversial yeah um, there's a lot of issues constantly and, and you know we probably thank some of our North American corporate experts for exporting that kind of privatization model um, and certainly in our rail sector that's the biggest battle to keep rail systems national and protect them um, if you look at the future of the world and you look at the the environmental question um, we're also partnering on some of those elements about making sure that public transport remains in the hands of the public and provides a service and deals with society as a whole. Um, we don't believe you can have a, a effective cities economically successful, and we want economically successful cities and, and employers too, but you have to have a service to provide the low-cost workers to get to work in a fair and equi equitable way. So for us, public transport is part of planning, and we're actually looking earlier now at the process, and we believe we need to lobby mayors, federal people to make sure that workers, unions have a voice in the future of cities. Public transit is more important than ever today for so many reasons, right? Just as, as cities become bigger in, in terms of convenience, in terms of, of the people being able to you know, get to work and live close to work, uh, and also for environmental reasons to cut down on greenhouse gases. and, and but. But I just wanted to point out there is that there are these two players in American politics, the Koch brothers, Charles and David Koch, who have done so much damage and with the stuff that they've said. They're, they're big oil people, and they just want you know to, they want to do away with our Environmental Protection Agency, do away with that. They have said that's their goal: do away with all environmental uh, regulations so they can pollute as much as they want. They now have put pump millions of dollars into an effort to undermine and undo and turn back the clock on public transit. This is their latest, in addition to trying to elect as many Republicans as they can. Just as an aside, you ought to keep your eye on them because uh, I, I think they're, uh, 
uh, I think it's uh, it's a fool's mission for them because I don't think you could turn back the clock today on public transport. We have very strong views. There's millions of direct workers and millions of ancillary workers working in the transport sector in urban in urban centres. If you look at the future of the world and there are studies coming out of the World Bank and the ILO and the IMF, there's going to be a continued movement out of the countryside into urban centres. Yeah. And in order to make that effective and responsible and regulated and controlled, you need to build a strategy around your urban transportation. And it shouldn't be based on petrol-driven machines and cars. It should be built in an in a equitable, fair reasonable cost mode to move people from the outskirts of town or even look at how we plan our towns and build different centers around Mm -hmm. how do you make sure where the place of work is but the reality has to be that the planners and there are a number of mayors in the world we we kind of talk to what they call the l40 which is the mayors that have a view about the environment and what the future of cities should look like and then on behalf of the global voice of the transport workers unions, including the North Americans, but globally, we're talking to them about what the future of cities should look like. We're also talking to the World Economic Forum about what the future of cities should look like. We're in a discussion and a pilot program about, um, you know, automised cars. And the study oh, has proven yeah. in Boston here well, that, that actually the, you know, driverless cars haven't helped the congestion. Those that are wealthy enough are quite happy to get in a car and sit on their own. And our, our view would be let's invest and find ways to invest in public transit because that's the only way to build a congestion-free, smooth city that will build co- economy and strength. So do you see the driverless vehicle as a threat to workers in the transport unions? We see automation and all those issues are quite big tra- threats. But we also believe in the power of the unions and uh, this isn't a question of um, just the individual we believe that we should be lobbying government and policymakers to ensure that you know automized cars isn't the solution for congestion free environments we need proper well planned infrastructure in urban centers and that includes health and safety care for the disabled you know, but, all those issues that make sure society functions. But it does mean, and I've I had conversations with President Hoffa about this. I mean, uh, one of the one of the like first targets, I think, of the automation, automation, whatever the word is, uh, are trucks, you know. And and I mean, I cannot conceive of being going down the highway in my car with an 18 wheeler alongside of me with no, no driver. <laughs> so we, we, but, we, we're also in a study on that. And we, we, we've been working with um, the other ITF, which is a transport government forum. And we're also talking to the employers, the IRU, that's the Employers Truck Association. Yeah. Our big problem on trucking is a shortage of drivers. Shortage of drivers. Shortage of drivers. Really? And the challenge is because the cost level has been driven down and down over time because the global supply chain, the just-in-time delivery, personal ownership, um, and our challenge to have strong unions representing workers, ultimately, what do all people want? They want good, secure jobs that provide for their family. And, you know, in North America, the trade union movement has been the success story of the middle class. What's happening now is with organisations like XPO, they're driving down the cost where there were good companies that had good union relationships, had good training policies for their truck drivers to be skilled 
And let's not underestimate the job of a truck driver when we talk about the sheer weight and the cargo and the risk to society, the health and safety issues, the congestion issues. Oh, yeah. Those are very skilled jobs. And we, we yeah. believe that the professional driver should be recognised more as the professional driver Absolutely. and rewarded financially to, to, to pick up those issues. Yeah, I mean, you don't think about all the responsibility they have and, all, and I mean, all the skills needed to... I mean, you know, we, we handle that big piece of equipment. But so you mentioned this XBO. This is one of the companies that you're yeah, so targeting. XBO is, is, is a company that's an American based company he- headquartered in Greenwich, Connecticut, headed by CEO Bradley Jacobs. And we, we basically, he, he has a reputation for buying up companies, decentralizing their social conditions, fighting with unions, challenging. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about what is. What does a good union American contract look like? It yeah. has a salary and it has the social package. That's why people aspire to have contracts. He's a person that would fight all of those and say you shouldn't have that. Um, he's, you know, I think probably one of the worst things North America, and I'm a great lover of my many, many friends in this country, is this kind of union busters. Oh, yeah. Lawyers that come along that argue that individuals shouldn't become part of a union. He he's, operates in all of those areas. And as he moves globally, we've got a lot of challenges. And, and is he buying up transport so, uh, transit systems? I think, I think what we'll see, and this is also the next part of the automation question, we'll see that the global supply chain continues to change. So for the ITF and all of our affiliates, whether you're in a, on a ship, whether you're in the docks, whether you're on a train or a truck, that whole, and warehousing, all of those issues are going to become more and more tightly aligned with more software, more data, more control about the just-in-time. Our challenge is to make sure when players like XPO come into the market, take over what were good union shops with good employers and long relationships, that we keep the power of the individual to stay strong with the union. How do you take on a giant like that? So, that's a good question, Bill. (laughs) As part of our changing strategy, we basically say, you know, that the ITF, you know, You act nationally, but you behave internationally. So our unions have to get together, formulate strategies, trust each other, talk to each other. I'm telling you that if you're a a metro driver in Boston or you're a metro driver in Paris or London or even Delhi, your challenges are the same. You have, you know, you have boss, you have to meet a deadline, you have to protect the passengers. If we're talking freight, you know, truck drivers lose so much time on borders, checks, all those issues, our job is to make sure that all of our unions have conversations, open and frank conversations about their workplace challenges, and we run campaigns around those workplace challenges. And we go back to basics. We go back to the individual's concern and why they need unions and why we will stand up for them globally. And we were proud that we brought an international group to the XPO AGM in Paris. We were glad that Teamsters went all the way there with a delegation because their members in, in North America need to know that the fight, and there's a lot of quite bad operations. We've got issues. XBO have some very big clients, Verizon, Nike, Disney, DHL, Amazon. They're not a oh, – they may yeah. be an unknown name to most right. of us. Right, But, you know, the logistics are what move the freight, which move it from the where, from the ships to the docks to the docks to the warehouse, the warehouse to the shops. And, um, you know, we see that – you know, locked away in warehousing environments, there's discrimination on gender. Um, there's a lack of respect for health and safety pre- pre- regulations. 
And these are the kind of things, you know, we, we, we see in kind of a North American misclassification of your job because that then relates to what you can pay and how many hours you have to work, a lack of respect for your workers in the workplace, treatment of disciplinary issues. Um, we would call it social dumping, as in you try to drive the cost of, of labour down to the disadvantage, when in reality, and this is, you know, I'm not an economist, but to me, the more people workers earn, the more money they work, the more they spend it, the more they provide the family, and that will, uh, should drive the engine of the economy. Uh, I think that's pretty basic. So what you're saying is that if there uh, these corporations like XPO are operating globally uh, and having a negative impact, that's their, that's their mission almost, on, on workers, that the workers have to organize globally to take them on. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, absolutely. And, yeah. and it and it depends and on the national player to take their responsibility. We have a and number expose of cases. What they're, expose what yeah, they're doing. We we have to say. Look, I think for us, one step at a time. So the NLRB, we've got a number of cases against XPO about misclassification of workers in the right jobs, and we're yeah. pretty confident we'll win on those. The next issue is that the clients, many of the clients, sign up for good corporate social responsibility clauses. And we're talking to many of the global transportation companies in different places saying, you need to check your audit trail. You need to make sure that when people sign up to your conditions, that you're engaging and vetting. Because some of these players but you are... Can, you can also put pressure, can't you, on people like Amazon not to use certain companies because they're not can. treating their workers correctly. You can. Right? I, think, I think the reality is, in today's environment, your brand for a big corporation is a big part of why people yeah. buy their stuff. They want to wear certain brands. If you find out that that brand has got child labor in the process or no governance in global supply chain, is discriminating against women in the process, that should be a grave concern for those brands. Uh, you're particularly active uh, on the maritime front, right, in terms of... Yeah, the ITF has got a long history um, in maritime, and that's mostly because... Underneath it all, um, the International Maritime Organization, which is a governmental body, has produced studies that 90% of all trade takes place on ships. 90%? 90% of all world's goods. Well, I, you know, I don't know anything about this, but I, have, I always have the impression there's so many of these, you see these freighters, these great big container ships, and they're getting bigger and bigger, that the, the workers on those ships well, we, probably have horrible conditions and don't make much money and I don't know. I well, just have well, a kind of I I'm, fear I'm, about their you, working conditions. So we, is, we have... Um, is that, am I wrong? Or well, are they? You're partly right. Um, in reality, the ITF and, again, our um, chair of our seafarer section, Dave Hindell, is secretary of, of the Seafarers International Union in North America. Mm -hmm. So there's, you know, he, when you're a chair of an ITF section, that means you cover the world. You look after everyone. Him, together with our president, who's an Australian, Paddy Crumlin from the MUA, they lead global pay negotiations. So on those big containers that we're mm. talking about, mm. they will go into a room in partnership with the ITF and they'll sit down with the global employers from Japan, the international group of employers, and we will set a wage for, you know, ships like Maersk and MSC that we're talking about. Yeah. They have ITF agreements. And then that will go down into a local negotiation in the Philippines, India, Russia, Ukraine. Hmm. And we have set a global model of a wage for the good employers. Right. There are many bad employers. Um, and if I said to you that the ITF has something like 150 ITF inspectors in 52 countries visiting ships every day. Oh. And over the last um, oh. 
That's good to know. I mean, in the last 10 years, those inspectors have collected in the region of 313 million US dollars in unpaid wages. And that's part of our strategy. On one level, we have a bargaining strategy. It's not so yeah. different to a national model gone global. Mm-hmm. For the good guys who are responsible and corporate, we have this level. And then we have sort of a, a hit squad of ITF inspectors <laughs> picking on the bad guys, yeah. working with the glo- with the governments in the right. ports, right. working with government shipping inspectors, working here in North America with the Coast Guard, um, implementing what was called the Maritime Labor Convention yeah. for those that aren't covered, and ultimately trying to get them union contracts. Fascinating what you're doing. So important what you're doing. Uh, and it's a whole n- a window into a whole new area I knew nothing about. I appreciate your coming in, Steve. We're, we're out of time here, but I do want to make sure... Uh, if people have more questions like I do, there's a place to go, which is itfglobal.org. Right? Yeah, that's it. Perfect. itfglobal.org. Very, very important. Uh, whether you're a union member or not, you ought to know what they're up to. Thanks, Steve Gatton. Thanks, Thanks for what for you're the, doing. Thanks the for the opportunity. Coming in. My pleasure. All right. Thank you. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, friends, don't be a stranger. Keep up to date with all of The Bill Press Show happenings around the clock on social media. Here's how. You can follow us on Twitter at BP Show or on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash Bill Press Show and on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And remember, if you haven't already done so, make sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. And while you're there, please rate and review the show. That means a lot to us. And thanks so much for your support. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. The day Donald Trump caved. Yeah, you thought it would never happen? He did, but don't think he fixed the problem. Don't think things are any better. It's a phony executive order, folks, and we'll tell you why. Hello, everybody. Welcome. It is the Bill Press Show. Here we are at our studio in Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., coming to you live coast to coast uh, with all the news of the day. And there's a lot of it. And we're joining you, of course, on uh, online, joining you on television, on Free Speech TV and joining you on the radio as well. Great to have you with us. And we look forward to talking to you about First of all, this uh, executive order signed by Donald Trump yesterday after four days, almost a week, of telling us uh, it's the Democrats' fault. There's nothing we can do about it. We are, Our hands are tied. It's a result of the, uh, a bad law, and only Congress can fix it, and there's nothing the president can do. Oops, yesterday they said, oh, that was all a lie. We were just kidding. We can sign executive order after all, and we will, but the problems still remain and we'll tell you all about it. That's our job. We want to hear from you as to what you think about what's going on and send us your comments. The way to do so, of course, send us your comments on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. Tom Javits is uh, Vice President of Immigration Policy at the Center for American Progress, who joins us in studio to explain, uh, help us understand exactly what's going on. Tom, it's good to see you. You too, thanks. Thank you for coming in. Um, we've got uh, lots to talk about and un, uh, unwrap this thing here, uh, which we will do in just a second with all of your help. But first, this is the Full Court Press. 
All righty, just a couple of other stories yeah. making news. You know, we don't, don't normally do obituaries here in Full Court Press, but this is a big one. Yesterday we had a passing. We said farewell to Coco the Gorilla. Coco the Gorilla that knew how to use sign language is no longer with us. Coco passed away at mm. the age of 46, according to Coco's handlers. Uh, Coco died in her sleep yesterday morning. They announced the passing and said, quote, Coco touched the lives of millions as an ambassador for all gorillas and an icon for interspecies communication and empathy, end quote. That's 40, young. 46. 46. Yeah. 46. looked a lot older than that. Where was she? Uh, she, I don't know. I know she was born at the San Francisco Zoo. I don't know if she stayed there. Hmm. Uh, but, yeah, she is no longer with us. Farewell, Coco the Gorilla. By the way, you know, we talked a couple of weeks ago about the new Star Wars movie, the Solo movie. Yeah, yeah right. Uh, did not do very well by their standards. Well, yesterday, Lucasfilm announced they are not going to do any more Star Wars spinoffs. Now, just to be clear. There are still the Star Wars episodes, right? That they're doing. They did the prequels. Mm -hmm. Now they're doing the. Yeah, the sort of keep the, up with yeah, them. Yeah, you exactly. see everyone, but good. I didn't see Solo. I'm not, I don't feel like I need to see Solo. But there were talks that they were going to do a Boba Fett movie. Uh, that is not going to happen. They have shelved them, and they said they want to refocus their attention onto the upcoming Star Wars Episode Nine, and there will be a trilogy even after that. So, uh, no more. They're going to ease up on the Star Wars stuff, I guess, is the takeaway. And congratulations this morning to the Prime Minister of New Zealand, Jacinda Ardern. Yeah. She gave birth to a baby girl yesterday. She is the first world leader to give birth in nearly three decades. Is that crazy? It is. Yeah. I, I'm just. Who's the last one? Do we know? Does it say? Uh, I don't have that in front of me. No, I don't know who the last one, but it was a long time ago. Uh, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl. Uh, she posted on uh, Twitter along with her husband just welcoming the, the, the baby. So uh, congratulations. So she's the prime minister of New Zealand. That's right. So does she get like six months maternity leave? That's a good question. <laughs> Who runs the country while she's... Right? I don't know what the maternity leave situation is when you're running the country. But I'm sure they have a better policy than we do. <laughs> That's for sure. This is the Bill Press Show. Yeah, in typical Trumpian fashion, let's create a crisis so then we can solve it. <laughs> That's what Donald Trump has been doing this week on the immigration issue. But don't think it is fixed because it is not. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Bill Press Show on this Thursday, Thursday, June 21. Uh, a big day indeed with lots going on, particularly on the immigration front in the Congress. Uh, big votes today in the House. And, of course, the president yesterday signing this executive order which, of course, he said that he could not do uh, because his hands were tied. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital and our studio on Capitol Hill. Tom Javits covers immigration issues for uh, the Center for American Progress and joins us in studio. Tom, again, it's good to see you. Uh, and by the way, we are joining you on YouTube where we uh, look forward to your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. 
Also looking at you on Free Speech TV and out in the greater Chicago area on the great WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. So, Tom, the president and the press secretary and the secretary of DHS and the attorney general and John Kelly, the chief of staff, and Steve Miller, uh, the special advisor to the White House on to president on immigration issues, they told us all this week, look, we, we, we don't like seeing these kids separated from their parents either, but it's not a result of any policy of ours. It's a result of a law passed by Democrats. It's a Democrat's fault. There's nothing we can do about it. Only Congress can fix it. And they said, in quote, unquote, unquote, we can't do it through, cannot, we can't do it through an executive order. I guess none of that was true. Yeah, so that was a lie. Um, that was a lie. It was a, a series lie of lies, right? Series of lies. Um, but what they did yesterday is no solution anyway. Um, so I think it's important to unpack what, what this is all about. Yeah. The, the right. policy of family separation uh, was the result of a series of conscious policy choices they made. It was the choice to prosecute everyone who was crossing between the ports of entry, mm-hmm. which necessitates them being sent, the parents being sent to DOJ custody, and the kids can't go with them, so they have to be separated. And it also involved a policy decision to, to separate some families who actually showed up at our ports of entry to request asylum. And then even though they could have you know, either paroled them to the country or they could have uh, processed them otherwise, they chose then to separate separate the families and said kids to one government agencies and the parents to another. Right. So that was what the policy choice they made is. Basically and that policy, they, by the <clears> way, <throat> April 6, 2018, Jeff Sessions. Right? right, right. Jeff Sessions had a policy memorandum in April in which he told his U.S. attorneys, please accept every single uh, prosecution for illegal entry that's referred to you. And then uh, the following month in May, uh, uh, Secretary of Homeland Security uh, Kirsten Nielsen issued a memorandum, we think, which directed all Border Patrol agents to refer everyone they apprehend for prosecution. So those two things together mean everyone caught gets mm-hmm. referred and mm-hmm. every referral gets prosecuted. Right. Um, so that the, 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 here's the key thing, though. None of that changed in the executive order yesterday. They actually doubled down on it and said, we're going to continue prosecuting all these people. So zero tolerance policy remains in place. So it seems, according to the, both the rhetoric well, no, and I, also I, the text I, of the executive order. No, you're order. right. That's what the executive yeah. order says. Yeah, that right. doesn't change that. So now what? So now what happens? If they get their way, what they want to do, what, what the vision that they're sort of laying out in this executive order is that during those prosecutions, and even for folks who come at the ports of entry and request asylum, they will be sent to, the, to, to a new series of detention camps that they are setting up. Um, some will be uh, camps that will be set up on military bases, and in the future, if they get appropriations from Congress, they want to probably build new camps or contract with more private prison companies to set up these detention camps. Tens of thousands of kids and their parents detained for months, in some cases potentially years, in, in detention camps. Right. So that's the vision they want to set up. But there's a, there's a serious flaw to that plan. They know they can't do that. They know it's currently not lawful to do that. And so the executive order makes very clear from its title which essentially says, hey, Congress, fix this for us, and from a provision in the executive order which says, let's go to court and ask if we're allowed to do this. Because there's a court order, my understanding, correct mm-hmm. me if I'm wrong, 1997, that says they can only hold kids in detention for 20 days max. So basically in 1997, there was a, I mean, in the 80s there was a lawsuit, and in 1997 there was a class action uh, settlement agreement, the Flores Settlement, which essentially sets forward the basic uh, standards for detaining children in government custody, uh, immigrant children in government custody. 
and it has a whole series of requirements, access to adequate medical care, access to adequate education, um, the, the basic things that children need in order to mm-hmm. be children, mm-hmm. to the extent they can be children in a detention setting. It also says that if, you know, it sets forth where kids should be held in the least restrictive setting appropriate, and it has a preference or priority for, for the possible release of those kids or reunification with family or appropriate sponsors. If they can't find a licensed facility that's appropriately licensed to care for kids, then under the court or under the court order a couple of years ago, they have to find ways to release those kids in a reasonable period of time, which is about twenty years, twenty days. Yeah, I'm sorry. And so that's the key. The key is the government has not found a way to find licensed facilities that are appropriate to hold kids. And if you can't hold kids in an appropriate setting, it's inhumane to hold kids, and they can't mm. get around that right now. Right uh, now, what happens? So first thing is. Policy is still in place. Um, families will, they may not be broken up, but they're still going to be in some kind of a detention center, probably for longer than the law allows. Now, another question. What happens to the 2,300-plus kids who are today in these sure. detention centers? Well, a couple of things on that. One thing I will say is I'm not at all sure that we're going to see family separation stop even today. Um, they have very limited bed capacity right now. The executive order, by its own terms, doesn't even say it's going to end family separation. In fact, um, there's wiggle room in there. I was going oh, to yeah. ask you about that that says where appropriate or something like that. It says where like appropriate. That. It's subject to appropriations yeah, and, yeah. and constraints of law. Where resources um, are available. and Yeah. yeah. So so the, the, the executive order doesn't promise to end family separation, and the realities on the ground strongly suggest they're not going to be able to do it anyway. Um, and to the extent they are able to do it, the only way they'll be able to do it is by setting up these large-scale detention camps, which you know, are probably just going to delay separation but not actually end it. So that's sort of the reality of that. Right. Um, and again, these 2,300 kids there today, there's no guarantee those, that they're going to be automatically reunited with their families, right? Not not only that, there's actually a couple of things about that. Some of those kids, their parents already have been deported, um, and their parents are back in their home countries and don't know where their kids are or when or whether they'll see them. Shh. So that's a starting point. Yeah. Um, but the other thing about those kids is an HHS uh, spokesperson yesterday um, was asked about this, and they said that they're not going to make any special yeah. special actions to try and relocate or re- re- reunify those kids with their parents. Um, now, I think Customs and Border Protection uh, within DHS, they have said that for kids who are currently still in their custody, they will find a way of reuniting them with their families. But these you know, 23, 2,400 kids who already have been separated, already have been transferred to the custody of a different government agency, placed in foster care families around the country. Uh, it does not appear at this time that the government has any plans of making any special efforts to unite those families. The truth is they don't know where they are. They in a lot of cases, they don't know where the parents are. The parents don't know where the kids are. If the DHS wanted to put them together today, they wouldn't, they'd be incapable of doing it. Yeah, right? so it's certainly the case that a lot of the parents have no idea where their kids are. That's certainly the case. Um, they, you know, I don't know. If there's a single single government entity. I think that's the problem. There's no government entity that that under that knows right now where both the parents and the kids are. DHS <laughs> should be able to locate Jesus. where the parents are. Certainly, HHS certainly ought to be able to locate where the kids are, or at least where they place the kids. Um, but whether or not there's proper communication between DHS and HHS to handle the logistical challenges of putting families back together is 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 a real question. Can you, that's I mean, horrifying, by it, the way. It, it's yeah. so horrifying. I was just thinking about. You know, we do have government agencies here dealing with just American and American families, and things happen, and sometimes kids are taken away from their parents because of whatever. I mean, if there were some state agency or city agency that just lost track, they, they sent kids off somewhere, yeah. and then they you come back and find, where are my kids? And they couldn't tell you? 
we would be. It's, it would be such an uproar, right? So I, th- I think I think there would be an uproar, and that's I mean, to be honest. I mean, coming from the immigration advocacy world, we often wonder why no one's screaming as loudly as we are. But this is yeah. one of those moments, the first time in 16 months of administration, when people are screaming that loudly. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what, the moment that, you know, and I do this work, but I'll tell you the moment that really, really uh, hit me and has stuck with me was uh, two weekends ago when I was uh, with my son and I was I was at a speech therapy appointment for him. And uh, I, my phone buzzed, and I checked it, and I saw an article in the Washington Post about a father, Marco Antonio Munoz, uh, from Honduras, who a month earlier had come to the United States. He had requested protection at our border uh, with his wife and his three-year-old son, and he was told by Border Patrol agents they were going to take his son away. So he held his son in his arms, and a Border Patrol agent forcibly removed his son from his arms. He was upset. They put him in a metal cage in the Border Patrol station. Uh, he was still upset. He was shaking, shaking the cage. And so they transferred him from that cage to a nearby jail 30 miles away in Starr County, Texas. When he got to the jail, he was distraught. So they threw him in an isolation cell. And within 12 hours, he had hanged himself. Oh, Jesus. So this is what we are doing under this policy. It's completely understandable why that father would hold his son tight. It's completely understandable why he would be distraught. And when you take someone who is emotionally distraught like that, you've taken their child away and you throw them in an isolation cell, which we know exacerbates uh, uh, you know, mental distress. Um, you know, we've got blood on our hands in these cases. And, and you know, the most outrageous part about this is that Customs and Border Protection hid that from public scrutiny. They hid that from members of Congress and didn't tell them about it for a month until the Washington Post broke the story, specifically so that uh, AG Sessions and Secretary Nielsen and Trump could travel around the country selling more family separations. Mm-hmm. Um, D- Donald Trump said something yesterday when he signed this executive order um, where uh, for him it's the optics, right? It, it's sort of that seemed to be uh, all he care about. If if we can, Peter, that that where Donald Trump talks about, he didn't like basically he didn't like the looks of what was happening uh, at the board. Here's so he's signing the executive order. Here's why I'm doing this. We're going to have strong, very strong borders, but we're going to keep the families together. I didn't like. The sight or the feeling of families being separated. So nothing about this is wrong, this is cruel, this is inhumane, this is immoral, this is not who we are as a people. It doesn't look good. It doesn't appeal to his aesthetics. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think that's a really important point, to be honest, because the world that he's setting up, the vision that he wants to set up, and he's going to need Congress's help to do it, he's going to need you know a federal court's help possibly to do it if it actually happens is a transition from family separation to family incarceration. Mm -hmm. And once you get to the family incarceration, once families get transferred to those detention facilities and can be held for months or years, you know, if that's the vision that they realize, you won't see those sites anymore. Right. Right. You won't get those stories anymore. Before I was at CAP, before I was on the Hill, I worked at the ACLU National Prison Project. And I will say it is extremely hard to get information about what's going on in our prisons and jails around the country, and it is particularly hard to get information from within privately run facilities. And that's where most of these families ultimately will be held, make no mistake about it. Right. Oh, no, that's a very, very good point. Family separation to family incarceration. Yeah, as if that's progress, right? Yeah, I mean, they're, I mean, they're, as they're, if they're taking kids. that makes us a more compassionate people. Yeah, they're taking kids from one cage and throwing them in another. What about the claim that every other administration, I was there, or no, I was watching actually uh, Monday, Tuesday, when Kirsten Nielsen said uh, two things that really struck me. One, this is not controversial. And she also said, this is nothing new, that 
George Bush did this. Barack Obama did this. We're just continuing the same policies. Yes. I mean, that's, it's a lie. There's not much more to say about that. There's never been an administration in the past that has had any sort of policy of separating children from their parents. Um, there's, I can't think of any example internationally of uh, any country that would take uh, uh, people coming to the country, certainly asylum seekers, and uh, greet them by taking their children away. It's, it's a completely monstrous policy. Right. So you're one of those extremists and one of those radicals that Donald Trump complains about because you don't offer any solution except open borders. And that's what Kirsten Nielsen also right. said that at her news conference. That right. all, all you critics, you offer no other solution other than open borders. Well, so I'll, a few thoughts on that. One, I will say, we actually just... That's another Congress. lie, by the it's, way. It's right? a lie. We, it's a, we, but, just, we, but, just, we just published a piece just yesterday. You should check it out on our website, AmericanProgress.org, um, that talks specifically about the alternative. Um, this administration had, you know, and was operating in the first year of its administration, a program called the Family Case Management Program, which was a way in which families who were coming in who were requesting asylum could be released uh, and monitored appropriately, given appropriate services to make sure that they got proper child welfare services, proper access to uh, counsel uh, if they needed counsel. And it was extremely successful. There was a 99% appearance rate in court. People were winning their cases. Those who weren't winning their cases were uh, appearing for removal. Mm -hmm. um, it was working really well. This administration stopped it. Another example of an alternative this administration stopped. So in the last administration, they created a program called the Central American Minors Program. It was very small. It was never stood up. Uh, to scale in the way that it really should have been. But the idea was this. If you're facing uh, danger and persecution and violence in these three countries in Central America, Guatemala, Honduras, mm -hmm. and El Salvador, rather than taking the dangerous journey to the United States, request protection from there. We'll vet your case. And if we think you qualify for protection, we'll provide a refugee re a resettlement option for you in this, United, in, in this country. They ended that program too. right? The whole idea of that was to create an orderly way uh, to address things. Yeah. And I'll say one last thing. They're also actively making things worse. They're not only eliminating things that are solutions, they're also making things worse. So this administration already has set the stage to end temporary protected status for about 260,000 Salvadorans and Hondurans who have been living in this country legally, mm -hmm. working legally for almost 20 years. Um, when you take that population and take away their ability to live and work lawfully in this country, you hinder their ability to send uh, remittances back to their home countries, which will be necessary to sort of stimulate economic development. And to the extent that they start to return to their country, if we start deporting mass numbers of Salvadorans and Hondurans back to those countries, you're going to further destabilize an already very, very dangerous situation. And so the things they're doing are really creating chaos in exactly how you started started this conversation. He wants to be both the arsonist and the firefighter, right? <laughs> right. He's, yeah. he's creating this instability, and he wants to come in and sort of capitalize on the chaos by driving terrible policies that are that are billed as the solution. And uh, th th this uh, that's a temporary resettlement program, whatever I forget the name temporary of it. Temporary protected status. Protected status. Uh, there were also there's some Caribbean countries too. Where, where well, so Haiti is the big. I mean, Haiti, Haiti is, Haiti is another right. one. The yeah. biggest one is El Salvador. I mean, El Salvador yes. are literally two hundred thousand people who have been in the country legally for more than twenty for twenty years. Right. And and this was set up for people who were either fleeing like civil war, or gang violence or whatever, but also natural disasters. Principally natural disasters or armed ongoing armed conflict, yeah. That's right. Uh, so um these two bills that are before Congress today, any one of them um <laughs> move the ball forward in terms of no no so yeah. honestly the, the the two bills before congress right now would move the ball back even further um and it's really important for viewers to listen to that because you know they've been sold a bill of goods by people who are saying that you've got the hardline good lat bill oh yeah and then you've got the moderate compromise oh, yeah bill. oh yeah right um 
So let's talk about those bills. What do these two bills do? The Goodlatte bill is is, is a, a, you know, here's what it does. It dramatically slashes legal immigration to the country. Legal. Legal, legal immigration uh, yeah. to the country by eliminating the entire categories of legal immigration. Um, the bill would criminalize the entire, entire undocumented population of the country. 11 million people would become criminals overnight, subject to imprisonment, incarceration and imprisonment. Um, the bill eviscerates our asylum system, and the bill would allow the administration to do what it's trying to do now, which is set up prolonged detention camps to house children in custody for months or years. So this is really the extreme right-wing bill, everything in there. Does that have the $25 billion for the wall? It has the wall, yes. It's oh, got yeah. the wall. Oh, yeah. So, so, so what's the compromise bill? What's the bill that Paul Ryan and Stephen Miller and the House Freedom Caucus, supposedly, although today they're bucking, what's the bill that they sat down and wrote together with the so-called moderates on the Republican side of the aisle? Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. You said something Paul Ryan, Stephen Miller was involved yes. in the writing of this bill? In the, in the writing of the well, moderates bill. In the writing of the bill called the moderates bill. Stephen, Stephen Miller, Miller, Stephen Miller had anything to do with it. It's bad. Right. So what does that bill do? So what does that bill do? That bill has many of the provisions that are in the Goodlatte bill as well. It would still completely eviscerate our asylum system. It would still completely set up these detention camps uh, to house uh, families for decades. It provides very limited relief for dreamers, maybe only about 10% of dreamers in the country would, at the end of the day, be able to get uh, uh, a citizenship mm -hmm. through the bill. But here, here's a great provision that folks should know about. If you've seen pictures of unaccompanied kids at our Border Patrol station sitting in cages, under current law, that's allowed for 72 hours. That's allowed for three days. After three days, <coughs> those kids in those Border Patrol stations have to be transferred to the custody of the Office of Refugee Resettlement. What does this compromise moderate bill allow? 30 days in those Border Patrol cages, right? They, they they changed the law to allow 30 days, a full month, for a three-year-old to spend time in a cage in a Border Patrol outpost. Yeah, but they're tender age, what are they called? Tender age kids. Yeah, tender age kids. So neither one of these bills is worth, worth support. It certainly doesn't move the, the ball forward. It, it doesn't look like either one of them's gonna move. It's looking like, the, it's looking like, I mean, here's, here's the thing. The Goodlatte bill was never going to pass. It's it's a it's it's, yeah. it's it's a hard line bill that does not have support from the caucus. We've known that for a year. Um, the other bill, though, I think may well still pass. I don't think people should stand down on it. I think you should get to the phones, frankly, and call your member of Congress and tell them that they have to vote no on both of these bills. Vote no on both bills. Yeah. Right. But I, but I also say, you know, if this bill doesn't pass right now, it looks like it's only not going to pass because the true immigration hardliners are walking away from it. Meadows is walking away from it, even though Stephen Miller was supporting it, even though Donald Trump is endorsing it. And then they're going to leave, frankly, they're going to leave the so-called moderates on the Republican side holding the bag for this bill that is still right. a monstrous bill. The bill would allow these kids to be held in cages for a month. It would allow accompanied families to be detained for months or years in detention camps. It would eviscerate our asylum laws. That's what that bill would do. And were it to pass the House, it's unlikely it would pass the Senate in that, right? I, so I, I absolutely don't think it would pass the Senate. That doesn't so, mean that Congress isn't still scrambling to think about what, if anything, they can truly try and address what the administration is doing. But going back to the beginning of the conversation, the, the president did sign an executive order yesterday. He didn't need an executive order. He doesn't need an executive order. What he needs to do is call Attorney General Jeff Sessions yeah. and Secretary Kirsten Nielsen and tell them to stop prosecuting all these families who are seeking asylum. Right. That's the solution to this. That's the thing that Congress needs to be demanding of the administration. And there are some pieces of legislation that would force the administration's hand on that front in the House and the Senate. Uh, Jerry Nadler has a bill in the House. Senator Feinstein has a bill in the Senate. Right. Um, but right now, this you know Trump started this policy. It's on him to end it, and he has not yet done that.
Right. Is that, that's a very, very good point. It is on him to end it. And he has, despite signing the executive order, he has not ended this policy. No, not at all. And we said that at the very beginning of our show this morning. It, the policy remains, and you've made that point very clear, policy remains in place, and he could do it with a phone call. Yep. I mean, this BS, big made-for-television signing of the executive order yesterday was just another made-for-television moment, another yep. big photo op. That well, and then he flew, to, he flew to, to Duluth, I think it was, right, and was... Uh, talking about you know, what a great job he did uh, clearing up this problem. I mean, he's he's claiming that he fixed North Korea, right? I mean, it's it's like it, he I mean, he literally is talking about North Korea in the past tense. He shifted to the past tense when talking about North Korea, right? He, this is not a person who has attention to detail. Uh, the, <laughs> uh, that's a whole other issue, but uh, absolutely right. But there is an analogy. But I kept what as this was crisis scandal or whatever problem was unfolding this week. It reminded me so much, and you just alluded to them a little bit, and I want to ask you for more about the Dreamers. It was sort of the same thing. The Dreamers program was working, 800,000 people in it, no problems, and then Donald Trump blew it up and threw it to Congress um, and said, it's your fault and you've got to fix it. Did the same thing here, just about. I mean, the yep. immigration system was it certainly wasn't perfect. We need comprehensive immigration reform, but at least the families were not being... So he broke this, then threw it to Congress again. Yeah. Uh, so, and but he got away with it with the Dreamers, right? I mean, the Dreamers program. Well, we'll see. So, so I mean, I, I think where, that's, what is where's the status of the Dreamers program? I think today? that's a great example, a great, great, great point. I think on uh, Dreamers and ending DACA on these three hundred thousand temporary protected status holders in the country that, that he's terminated. And also now with uh, with the separation of families, these are all right. things where they made conscious policy choices to blow things up. They got you know some degree of outrage, more outrage I think right now on this issue because it, it, it's connecting people because, viscerally. Well, because they're um, little kids for yeah. one thing, yeah. Um, it, and you know certainly some amount of outrage around uh, Dreamers and TPS. I think we're still educating mm -hmm. the public about what that means. But um, in that case, between DACA and TPS, you're talking about more than a million people who have been in the country legally paying fees, following the rules that this administration uh, set set the terms for pulling the rug out from under them, violating our promise, putting making them undocumented, and then eventually uh, going after them for deportation. So what's happening right now with those folks? So right now, DACA recipients, because of several court orders, have the ability to continue applying to renew their protection. But the administration is actively working in court with Texas to try and uh, eliminate and, and block that injunction from take from, from 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 remaining in place. So they're actively working so to new expedite. People, can new people people no. in can reapply? People who are in right now can reapply. No new people can apply, which okay. means that you know all these young kids who are who are aging out of the program are going to remain undocumented um, and are going to remain in, in at risk of deportation. But the administration is actively working with the court to uh, try mm. and end the renewal process and yeah. expedite the end of DACA. The administration also has uh, by ending TPS sort of set a ticking time bomb. So, so what does this mean for the months and years ahead? I think it's really important to know. We're going to see a showdown, and they're setting this up in the Supreme Court over what to do with DACA. And there's going to be a fight, but it's, it, it could very well be the case that potentially even in a matter of in a month or two, we could see a fight in the Supreme Court that could result in DACA renewals coming to a stop and DACA recipients once again beginning to lose status. Because of the way they ended temporary protected status, starting very, very thousands of individuals and after that hundreds of thousands losing their status on day one so these deadlines these timelines mm -hmm. are still coming up um, 
And I think it's important to recognize that. And the overall, so, so, so we, we don't yet know what level of, of public outrage there's gonna be around this because we haven't yet seen like large scale uh, dreamers and TPS recipients yeah. being kicked out of the workforce, right, kicked right. out of their universities, yeah. and being kicked out of the country. But that may still be to come, and we're going right. to need to use this outrage and build upon it for those fights ahead. It may take it may take that, you know, to rebuild the outrage about the dreamers. I think we sort of lost sight of the dreamers now, and they're hanging in limbo. And um, uh, you know, and that whole program could still fall apart. And Congress has done nothing, absolutely nothing. They, they haven't. And, and I think the other really good point that you made there too is there's a reason why they're creating this chaos, right? There's a reason why they ended DACA and created chaos, why the anti-TPS created chaos, why they're separating families created chaos, because they want more than just the elimination of those programs, right? When they end those things and then go to Congress, they don't say to Congress, when the president said, I want to end yeah. family separation, no one then said, well, let's outlaw family separation. They said, well, what can we get for it? Yes. Right? They want to remake our immigration system dramatically to cut legal immigration by 40%. Mm -hmm. They want to eviscerate our asylum and refugee laws. They want to allow for massive incarceration of families for prolonged periods of time and, with no opportunity for release. And they want $25 billion for the and wall. And they want $25 billion for the wall. So there, there are, there's a major policy agenda, and they are taking hostages, make no mistake about it, and their goal here is to try and collect on that at some point. So bottom line, don't give Donald Trump credit. Don't think he fixed anything yesterday. He really uh, maybe just made matters worse. Uh, worse. Uh, you can follow Tom Javits and all of our good friends over at Center for American Progress. You mentioned it earlier at AmericanProgress.org. Uh, and you can also find out about this alternative plan. There is, yeah. there, there is, there is a plan. Nobody is talking about open borders. Nobody I know about that at any rate. Hey, Tom, thanks for all your good work. Sure. Thanks. Thank you so much. Really good stuff. Thanks for coming in. Uh, yes, big day down at the White House, but no White House picnic tonight. Lorraine Wallet covers the White House for Politico. She's going to join us next here in the studio. Quick break. We'll be right back. Download our podcast. Search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes. And remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Hey, you bet it is. And it's Thursday, Thursday, 21st of June, 2018. Summer solstice today. Is it really? Yeah, it's is this day like of the, the year. Is this like, wow. Is this like the official first day of this is it. summer? summer? This is it. Longest day of the year. Summer's here, baby. Longest day of the year. Yeah. About it. All right. Make it a good one. Hey, get get every ounce out of it. Uh, pleasure that you, that you can. Here we are, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington D.C., our nation's capital, where we're brought to you today by the internet, the United Steelworkers and their international president, Leo Girard. The United Steelworkers, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org. Salute their good work and thank them for the support of the program. And welcome uh, to the uh, studio. Lorraine Waller covers the White House for Politico, one of the one of Politico's team uh, covering the White House down there. Uh, a busy day at the White House yesterday. Big executive order, and then the president flying out to. Uh, uh, Minnesota last night, Lorraine, but no picnic tonight. No picnic, sad. Yeah, yeah. sad. Sad. You're using Donald Trump's favorite <laughs> word. One of them. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, which he used again. He's been tweeting this morning. He has uh, been. One of his. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he seems to be on a roll this morning, um, tweeting obviously about uh, the border. And, and... Uh, tweeting also, well, last night he was tweeting about um, the crowd. In Minnesota, we should check out Peter the exact size, but he claims 
there were 9,000 people inside and at least 10,000 people outside who could not get in. Um, we do know that there were a lot of people outside who couldn't get in. 10,000, right. I, you know. That's a big number. That's a big number. That is a big number. Yeah. Um, but, you know, um, this like the biggest inaugural crowd ever. Ever. Period. Um, Period. And he did, yeah. you know, some of the people outside were protesters, just to be uh, uh, transparent. Mm -hmm. uh, so one of his Trump's, uh, one of Donald Trump's tweets this morning, uh, Democrats want see, want see more illegal immigration and more border crime because they don't care about the safety of Americans, all because they hate Trump. Sad. Yeah, it is sad. <laughs> it's also sad when you can't spell separation. Um, so, <laughs> which <laughs> they couldn't in their executive order. Uh, uh, Lauren, you were there this week, as was I, and when we hear uh, from Sarah Huckabee Sanders, from Kirsten Nielsen, from the president and everybody else with the administration, all these lines that we got this serious problem. We don't want to separate these kids from their families, but we have no choice. This is because of a law that the Democrats passed in Congress. There's nothing the president can do about it. We cannot do it. They said word for word, we, this, we can't do it by executive order. And suddenly, yesterday, signs an executive order. So what happened in between the lies and the executive order? Well, look, I mean, the executive order actually could be um, – could could actually get them in the legal hot water again, right? So here's yeah. the problem. The executive order, depending on how it's carried out, could be illegal, right? So um, what they're going to do now is they're going to continue to detain uh, these refugees or these migrants, and they're going to, instead of taking their kids away with them from them, they're going to keep the kids with them. This is exactly what got Obama into hot water, you know, years ago. Yeah, so, I remember, I remember. You know, so there's because a kernel there of a... truth. There's a kernel of truth to what the administration was saying, um, that they couldn't do this. Legally, they can't keep the kid, the parents and the kids together. So now they're in a bind. They either have to let everyone go or start taking the kids away again. But how did they decide to do it by executive order when he kept saying, there's nothing I can do, only Congress can right. fix it. Yeah. Only Congress can fix it, and there's nothing I can do. Yeah, they made the policy change without an executive order, right? The zero right. Tol tolerance. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, uh, you know, I think they, they did need to have a political moment. Um, so, hence the signing of something in the Oval Office. Um, it was telling that Mike Pence was there in the room. Um, you know, a lot of Trump's... Um, evangelical conservative base was very angry at what they've been doing. And so it was, I think, symbolic to have Pence standing there yeah. as he was signing. So did they, but um, was it a case of political pressure really bringing them where some people in the White House went to him and said, you know, you've really got to change this. You just, yes. You, no matter what you said, you've got to back down. Yeah. I mean, I think there, there was. I mean, your, your site this morning, the headline was the day Donald Trump caved. Yeah, yeah. I believe I wrote it yeah. down. But, yeah. um, but so the— The day Trump he, he actually—he did. He was under pressure from his family, obviously, Ivanka. He said that plainly. Melania, um, like the women in his family. Uh, and then he, he did come under pressure from Republicans, you know. And then 
a lot of his own people. Uh, we don't know. I'm very curious to know what Pence was saying to him. We don't know yet, but um, Pence was saying, "Whatever you want, Mr. President." <laughs> so, but yes, you Mr. Know, President. But the, yes, Mr. President. I, the, the evangelical the, right was speaking very loudly and clearly on this. Right. So it was political pressure, and it, as mm-hmm. you say, it didn't. So, um, Tom uh, Javits in the last uh, half hour was telling us. It didn't really solve the problem. It, it may have created even more problems. Right, that's correct. Right? Yeah. But it was sort of a face-saving way for Trump to say, right? right? Right. And so this thing, you know, this executive order is a it's going to be really temporary, right? It's going to either, uh, it's going to get challenged in the courts, uh, you know, assuming that he's going to just start detaining families as, a, you know, people as a family unit. Um, that's, of course, going to get, that's a, on its face, it seems to be illegal, as Obama learned. Um, and so he's going to have to, it's going to get overturned either by the courts or, you know, Congress is going to have to step in. So in a way, this is, this puts pressure on Congress now to act um, because if they don't do something, then, you know, Trump's going to have to start releasing, probably soon going to have to start releasing these people. What does what what Sarah Huckabee Sanders do or Kirsten Nielsen do when they said over and over again, only Congress can fix this. We can't do it by executive order. And now they did do it by executive order. Do they say we were wrong? Do they say we were misinformed? Or are they just, <laughs> did, did they ever, or or do they say we lied? I mean. Well, no, they, no, they don't say any of those things. Um, and, you know, what they will say is they they haven't really fixed it. They've stopped the family separations, but of course, there's going to be a new problem here. Like, you know, they know that this is going to be challenged. They can, so, I was just thinking, they yeah, probably yeah. also will say, well, we had to do it because Congress, again, failed to act. Right, right exactly. Of course, right. And, and you know, um, it was this, you know, Trump was, it was very interesting to hear him the other day because he was saying, you know, we either, we can be weak or we can be strong. Um, and and you know we ha- you know he felt for these families and these kids. I think he I think he truly did. Um, but but then he said I you know but then he know. said <laughs> you know oh I oh I maybe I'd rather be strong right. I think that was how he kind of ended his his comments the other day. So um, and his speeches have been just blistering. I mean at the um, NFIB speech the other day he he didn't use the R word rapist but he did. Almost go there. He walked up to that line. Well, talking he about said, immigration. He talked you know about murderers. I, you, know, and you know what I said when I announced my candidacy for president, rapist, the whole thing. And he said, uh, people made fun of me and said, but it turns out I was right, wasn't I? <laughs> yes, he did say that. Yeah. 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 So he was taking credit for And he also, he keeps coming about this. We got to be strong. We got to be strong. We got to be strong if we if we let these kids stay with their parents, and it looks like we're weak. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. that, that seemed to be mm-hmm. one of the big motivations mm-hmm. of his of his movement. Uh, and um, and we played it a couple of times this morning where he said the thing that that he didn't like was it didn't look good. Right. The yeah. optics were yeah. bad. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so yeah, maybe, we maybe is, is hard-hearted. Nothing, and nothing wrong with what we were it doing. Was, it was just the optics. Didn't yeah. look good. Yeah. So, so yeah, but maybe this was just a cold calculation, right? That little picture of that two-year-old girl, mm-hmm. the big front-page Washington mm-hmm. poster about mm-hmm. the photographer mm-hmm. who mm-hmm. took that picture, mm-hmm. so that little girl standing there crying while the officer is frisking her mother. is one of those mm-hmm. photos that, you know, 
it will stay, change the world. It will stay with us. It, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like if from Vietnam, that girl running down the street mm-hmm. with a napalm, I've been hit by mm-hmm. napalm, you know, yeah. that little naked girl. So yeah. the, one of those. Um, oh, he's, you know, he's tweeting Uh-oh. again. He's tweeting again. He's tweeting Uh-oh. again. The border has been a big mess and a problem for many years. At some point, Schumer and Pelosi will be forced to do a real deal. We'll see. Um, Mr. President, put down your phone. Um, you uh, you mentioned Ivanka. Uh, according to Donald Trump, she weighed in and expressed her concerns. She didn't say anything publicly. She hasn't. She's been really quiet for a long time, don't you think? Uh, yes. Yeah. yeah. In fact, we were asking all week long, where is Ivanka? She's supposedly the you know, the soft side of the Trump. She's the one who's there to to keep stand up for women, stand up mm-hmm. for moms, right? right? And this is happening and all these photos are coming, everything's coming. She didn't say a word. Yeah. Yeah. Um and you know curious, I, curious. And we know that like Jared is working on things like prison reform and, you know, some other other things like that. And we haven't we haven't heard him from him much either. Well, he's busy bringing selective them. outrage on their part, okay. right? Like they sort of chime in when they think that they have some sort of leg to stand on, but they clearly don't in this, so they're just going to be quiet. You know, I, here's a little factlet, fact, factlet or whatever. Factoid, factoid. Factlet. I like factlet. Factlet. I don't know where that came from, <laughs> but I like it. I saw this, and I don't know where I read this yesterday, but I made a note of it that holding these kids in these tent cities in the in the desert costs. $775 per kid per day. Do you realize where you could stay, like in New York City, for seven? You could stay in the Ritz for $775. Easy, right? I mean, think about that. That's a five star hotel rate. $775 a day. Yeah. Well, and it sounds like, um, and I personally haven't confirmed this, but I there were reports this morning that some of these kids are being sent to like New York and other states, yeah. um, and um, put in put with social services there. And then we don't know where they're going, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was apparently a pretty dramatic scene at the airport in New York, LaGuardia in New York, um, flight attendants crying. You know, there were several children on a pl- American Airlines plane. Um, well, no longer. Um, there are five yeah. airlines yesterday that said, "That's right. We don't want your business anymore. Keep us out of it. Keep us out of it. Don't don't try to book these kids on our flights. Mm-hmm. Um, they are American, Southwest, Delta, United, and Frontier. And I'm sure there are more. I bet they're the ones that we that we know about. Uh, don't want any part of this business. Don't be transporting them. And again, uh, um, Tom Javis, our previous guest, pointed out." The fact is, for these 2,300 kids who are still, who are already, have already been ripped over 2,300 from their parents, in many, many cases, they don't know where their parents are. The parents don't know where the kids are. They're not going to be reunited. They're going to stay in these camps. They they couldn't bring them together if they want to. As you point out, some of them have flown all different parts of the country. We talked to a congresswoman yesterday who visited some in Seattle because mm-hmm. there's not enough, there's not enough space for them. And then uh, and at then, the border, yeah. And then you know, some of them have said they want to go home. The kid, you know, these little kids. Where do you send them? Who's home? Who's home? Right. And where is home anymore? Right. Yeah. So, have you ever seen um, a, a a White House briefings, any White House briefings that have been so 
openly outright hostile at the briefings under this administration? <laughs> no, no, never. No. I mean, it's really... No, the mood has definitely changed. It's an ugly mood every yeah. day. I yeah. mean, it's sort of like open warfare. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there's, we, we clock the length of the briefings, and they've been, you know, they're very short. Remember a briefing was like an hour, maybe even Total. longer. Total. Now no. we've clocked, yeah. I think we clocked one at 12 minutes. Um, and most 12 of that, minutes. Yeah, most minutes, of that yeah. is Sarah. You know, Sarah will talk to us and maybe take a couple questions from the same three reporters, and then the briefing's over. First of all, they yeah. start, they're later. This is why I don't go. Is like I went every day on the Obama administration. I started with the Trump, but I just realized it's a big chunk of time. They start later in the day. Mm-hmm. They start late later than they're called mm-hmm. every time mm-hmm. and they la- and they're shorter so they're 15 18 minutes is mm-hmm. an average briefing right right and in that time you don't learn anything it's just her putting down one reporter after another and not never taking a follow up and never answering a question yeah so i mean they don't really need us do they i mean you know what's this is all deliberate yeah yeah, yeah. That's... But like the other day when Kirsten Nielsen was there and with Sarah Huckabee Sanders, the answer to every question was, only Congress can fix this. Uh, Congress created this mess. Only Congress can fix it. Boom. Moving to the next report. Answered everything. It was just and it was a flat out lie. Not just inaccurate information or not just spin. It's an outright lie. And the reporters sitting there know it. Well, they haven't fixed it. The EO didn't fix it. <laughs> Let's be really clear. I mean, yes, we're going to stop separating families. Thank God, right? But it hasn't fixed the problem. It, as long as they continue the zero tolerance, um, now they're going to be incarcerating children. So, yeah. you know, which is, you know, deten- you know, putting children into tent camps. Okay, well, now they're going to be detained with their parents in, you know, wherever the parents are being held. Yeah, there's another uh, related, not not necessarily related, but I, and I don't know if you had a chance to, to, to look at this yet, but um, the White House is announcing today a reorganization plan. We think that, it's coming today. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that Mike Mulvaney mm-hmm. has, has, has put together, mm-hmm. which will do what? Do away with Congress? <laughs> <laughs> actually, this is a case where they actually need Congress, right? So uh, Mick Mulvaney, as you may if they know. they had their way, they would do yeah. away with two, two, three, two out of three branches of government. Well, look, this is why I think and Trump— the, And by the way, and the media, too. Trump right? so, loves executive orders because it just takes him. Well, Trump loves pardons because it just takes him. You know, so, so here's Mick Mulvaney, um, smart guy, you know, I think he's a kind of a force of nature, strong, smart guy, um, and his whole mission in life has been to, you know, shrink government and to make government more efficient. Um, his his words, and uh, he's been working on this plan for since he was confirmed last February, so over a year, and we are hearing little bits and pieces of what's in it, but we, we're expecting it to be big, you know, consolidating agencies. Um, renaming agencies. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of like budget cut ideas in there. Um, some of this stuff the administration can do on its own through rulemakings, et cetera, or just you know policy changes. But you know the big things like establishing new agencies is going to take a congressional vote. Um, I can't. I think the last time we had a new agency was Department of Homeland Security back in 2002. Yeah. yeah. So. Um, that took an act of Congress. So some of this is pie in the sky stuff. We don't know exactly what's in it yet, but yeah, it's, it's going to be big. 
one of the things I read that he wanted to do was combine the Department of Education with the Department of Labor. Mm-hmm. Now, I think they're really two different jobs, mm-hmm. two different areas of activity. I mean, I mean, yes, a lot of teachers belong to labor unions, but that doesn't mean they're one and the same. Right, I mean, right. I, think I don't understand totally the different. logic. I mean, but the Department of Education has been one place where Republicans have, they've gone after that agency for a oh, Ronald long Reagan. Time. Ronald Reagan yeah. was going to yeah. uh, eliminate it. Federal, yeah. New Gingrich didn't like it. You know, it's been. I think it's attractive. one of the three that Rick Perry was going to get rid of, except he couldn't, he couldn't remember, remember the third one, which is the one yeah. that he's head of today. Yeah, uh, right. <laughs> uh, but, you know, the last time that I remember this idea of reorganizing government, it was um, in the Clinton years, Al Gore was mm-hmm. in charge of it. Mm-hmm. Well, remember, that was, Peter, what that was called? There were some initials. It was, well, that, that was, R- it was R- the information superhighway. Remember that? And Al Gore was going to. Remember that, yeah. Al Gore yeah. was going to bring us into the modern age. No, right, but, but he was, there was a, yeah. he was reorganizing the government chart too. Mm-hmm. And it, it started, there were four letter four initials. So it started with an R because I remember Gore used to say, whatever that was, it was Gore spelled sideways. I mean, he used to. <laughs> <laughs> laugh about it, but it was a typical wonky thing with Al Gore yeah. that never went anywhere. Yeah, yeah. This is not going to go anywhere. This, this, the big pieces of this won't go anywhere. Um, they don't have the bandwidth to do it, and they don't. They certainly don't have. You know, they certainly don't have the, you know, this feeling of you know, nice feelings to like work out some deal um, in Congress. But, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't underplay. Um, what Mulvaney does on this because buried in whatever he's going to put out today or soon Mm -hmm. will be lots of little nuggets of um, change that that, that they can do without Congress. So, okay, maybe we're not going to merge two agencies, but, you know, we could see changes to how government personnel function. We could see, um, you know, reductions in force. Uh, OPM has already, you know, moved in, you know, direction... Uh, you know, against uh, government employees. So there's going to be things in here that are going to be significant that we'll have right. to dig into. We also have another um, departure from the White House. Um, John, is it Joe? Hagen, Joe, Joe Hagen. Hagen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he was the guy who was who, who set up the uh, Singapore meeting. And he was deputy chief of staff. Mm-hmm. That's a pretty big job. Yeah, very he's big been, job. He's been around there for, mm-hmm. for quite some time. Mm-hmm. What does that tell us about, um, you know, it seems we've seen a lot of departures well, lately. Well, look, they're having, jo- they're having a job fair. <laughs> okay? So, you know, the economy's good. It's tough to hire these days, isn't it? <laughs> Unemployment's really low, so. Uh... But but seriously, the, the, I mean, these are people, some of them have been around the way. There was even rumors that Dan Scavino, who's mm-hmm. in charge of the, the Twitter operation, uh, other than Trump's own personal tweets, might be leaving. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, and um, I mean, went down to Hope Picks and all, but all the rest. A lot of these people who've been with Trump are spinning out. Yeah, spinning off. Yes, they so. are. I mean, look, it's ex- it's exhausting. All right, it's exhausting to work in this White House. Even if you believe in the president, it's it, everything's mercurial. You, he changes his mind on a whim. Um, it's impossible to say if we get eight people saying the president's going to do something tomorrow, we just can't believe it because he can just change his mind, right? So 
it, you know, there's a lot of backstabbing, as we all know, going on up there. Um, so even people who are true to this administration are exhausted. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you can only take it for so long. And does that include John Kelly? I think he's, yeah, I think it does. Really? I don't know how long he sticks around. I don't know. Yeah. Um, there, you know, I know you reported this week that um, Kelly is spending, has sort of given up. I think it was Politico mm-hmm. that, that, it, yeah. that he even uh, says, yeah, even if whatever whatever Trump is doing leads to impeachment, there's nothing he can do about it. Basically, take it or leave it and goes to the gym in the middle of the day and not really yeah. putting it in. I mean, he's got to be, he's got, he's, <laughs> if I were him, I'd be exhausted too. I mean, so. And um, frustrated. Yeah, and so we're starting, we're trying to dig into who might be next in, in line for that job. Whoa, yeah. whoa. Uh, well, Mick Mulvaney. Maybe. Uh, yeah. If it's not mm-hmm. Janine Pirro. <laughs> She's going to be next attorney general. <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot about yeah. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. She wants another yeah. job so badly. <laughs> right. Indeed. Hey, Lorraine, it's great to see you. I think there'll be a briefing today, so uh, we'll let you get ready for it here. Uh, and that kind of wraps it up. By the way, you can follow Lorraine, of course, at politico.com. This wraps it up. Have a great day, folks. We'll see you tomorrow. Show.